Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning and welcome to Market View. Joining me now to break down all the market action. I see we're twins in terms of fashion, Willie King. How are you? <laughs> Michelle, you have inspired me to bring my own leather jacket. <laughs> and this is the only time in the room because it's so cold and it's the best time to actually wear this leather jacket. Otherwise, there's nowhere else, you know. Looking as tough as a biker, our very own Willie King, author of the Dividend Titan Finance blog. Welcome. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. (laughs) I want to start in the world of artificial intelligence where new breakthroughs seem to be happening all the time. So my focus is Cisco Systems and Microsoft. Cisco is making a major acquisition. Microsoft is rolling out a new version of AI for its businesses and consumer customers. Let's start with Cisco. It's paying $28 billion for a company called Splunk, and that focuses on big data analysis and cybersecurity. Tell us about Splunk. Why is Cisco buying it and where does it fit into Cisco's business? Mm, so Splunk helps businesses monitor and analyze their data in order to reduce cybersecurity hack and resolve some of the technical issues much faster or more efficiently. And this really fits into Cisco's business. I mean, they have been in the switches, network and routers business for a very, very long time. And with all this new talk about artificial intelligence, like what you have mentioned, um, you know, companies riding on the tailwind of technology, it's important, you know, where you are seeing a lot of um, hacks and security issues coming out. I mean, if in Singapore here, we are looking at, you know, scams on SMSs. You're looking at um, fishers, cybersecurity fishers trying to get data through emails or even chat groups as well. So Cisco is actually looking at this because they primarily sell networks and routers, uh, switches to corporates, big companies. And this sometimes can result in the leakage of very sensitive data issues. And this is actually what happened, you know, we have seen for some of the big listed companies in Singapore. So in, for, for Cisco itself, Splunk fits perfectly in this time, uh, this period, where we are really talking about cybersecurity issue. And the thing about Cisco is that, mm. you know, Historically, they've always been acquiring um, companies. Um, Splunk is actually one of, if not the biggest um, acquisition amount to date. And it's actually worth about 13% of Cisco's market value. Now, what's interesting here is that, you know, Cisco, if you see, right, back in the good old days of the 1990s uh, dot-com bubble, you know, it's price to earnings went up to about over 200 times um, valuation, 200 times PE. And this also was result of... Uh, heavy acquisitions which it did in order to build its business. So it's a lot like a jigsaw puzzle where it tried to piece up different businesses here and there together. And with this new run of AI, I'm not surprised that Cisco is actually buying out um, cybersecurity businesses to keep up with the trend. So this is a $28 billion deal at a share price. Uh, Cisco buying Splunk for about $157 a share. Does this make Cisco a more attractive company with this addition to the the puzzle, so to speak? Yeah, so I think it really depends here on the... on, on how is is actually integrating it because it has also filled some of its acquisitions before and that has, has led to its share price struggling before it actually sells some businesses. So I'm not surprised if, let's say, if it tries to integrate some of the implementations of Splunk into its business, it might or might not work out. So sometimes it's very difficult to say. But what's important here is to see whether Cisco has sort of overpaid uh, for its acquisitions, mm. right? So this is one thing which uh, we can all always keep a lookout for. 
has it overpaid? Shares of Splunk surged on the news overnight. They jumped 20%. Investors took a more cautious approach towards Cisco itself. Not uncommon when a company is about to spend this much money. Cisco shares fell about 4% overnight. I want to turn to Microsoft now. It is set to start selling an AI supplement for its core productivity apps like Word and Excel. Now, this is called Copilot. Microsoft says it will help users prepare presentations, quickly find information from your emails. It's like diving into a, the abyss, you know, Dante's Inferno sometimes to figure <laughs> out which email goes with which, right? And um, much, much more, of course, this AI supplement from Microsoft will be able to help consumers with. So Microsoft announced several other AI updates based on its partnership with OpenAI at a showcase event in New York overnight. What caught your eye? Yeah, so there are many things which Microsoft actually unveiled. For example, it Surface Computers. Uh, it, has, it has also revealed details about his versions of its Windows 11. For me, two things come here. Personally, what caught my attention was its Surface Pro. I think it's sleek, it's beautiful. Professionally, I think it's the 365 Copilot, which is actually it is actually rolling out using some of its AI tool. Yeah. I mean, if you see how um, Microsoft and other the other tech companies, you know, they are actually vying for um, um, the businesses for AI for artificial intelligence. And for example, um, what Microsoft has unveiled voice Microsoft 365 Copilot. It's basically a supplemental supplemental AI tool for its core productivity apps uh, such as your Microsoft Word and Excel. So this sort of competes directly against your Google Sheets, your Google Docs, which people increasingly are also using. Microsoft is also adding the image generator Dolly 3 to its big chatbot. I don't know if you've seen the latest images, but the detail that Dolly can create is really quite stunning. Um, I've seen an image of Potato Head King wearing a jeweled <laughs> crown. Uh, he's surrounded by lots of little smiling potato heads. It's really quite something. And the thing is, it looks so real. That's, that's so real, so visual, where, you know, you, you, you feel that, hey, you're actually taken into this whole virtual reality. Yeah, amazing. Let's get back to the business of AI, though. What impact do you think that these enhancements are going to have on Microsoft's bottom line? Yeah, so it's very interesting because Microsoft's business has actually changed over the years, moving in from selling um, perpetual software licenses into more of a recurring nature business. And AI sort of appeals to many of its clients. Um, in, in fact, if you see, if it's able to automate um, many of its software's applications, uh, like, like its Microsoft, um, office this, um, services, it could potentially improve not only its um, bottom line but also expand its profit margin. Microsoft has always been well known for having a very high, um, very juicy uh, gross profit margin and in this case, uh, this could actually add on to its you know, growing margins and steady margins as well. Shares of Microsoft have been sold down with the rest of the market this week. They're off more than 5% over the past five days, but they are still up about 33% since the beginning of the year. On a more related note before we move on, some high-profile authors, including one of my faves, George R.R. R. Martin, are suing OpenAI. So John Grisham, Jody Picot, David Baldacci, they're all taking part in this lawsuit as well, accusing OpenAI of using their works to train ChatGPT without their permission and without paying them either. The authors call it, quote, flagrant 
copyright infringement and systematic theft on a mass scale. What do you make of this? I know you're a literature lover. <laughs> I think it's very hard to control. I'm, I mean, these days, the moment you put out things on the internet, I mean, if you are looking at books, even for books which have, have been transmitted into um, digital information and put mm. on the internet, you have to actually risk that people are actually going to sort of take your, your, your work and sort of transmute it into their own. And I think that really is the essence of um, artificial intelligence or ChatGPT here because what ChatGPT does is basically a language model where it basically takes all the information which it digests from all across the internet and creates something of its own. So on one hand, you know, it is fair and I do understand where some of these um, prolific writers and artists are coming from where, you know, ChatGPT or robots are basically taking over or copywriting their work, um, their words. But on the other hand, if you think about it, for, for many years, right, humans, you know, like us, we have been stealing like artists. You know, we have been taking the works of different artists and we have been transmuting it on our own itself, processing all our information on our own. Because these days, nothing, I've read a book and what, what I've come across, you know, with this book is that nothing is original. It's basically how you actually take this information, crunch it and process it through your own unique lens. And I think that for ChatGPT, just because it's a robot doesn't mean it does not have that unique lens. We'll have to look at what the lawsuit says, I suppose. This is new terrain. It's going to be really interesting to see how these lawsuits turn out. But yeah, yeah we are always sampling all the time. Uh, the question is, what can and can't ChatGPT do without making payment for it? Yeah, exactly. So I guess there's always that fine line, you know, where you are actually trying to take some information, think about it and process it. Mm. Um, of, of course, there's another, you know, when you cross the line of taking those information and putting out word for word wholesale, I think that is really copying. Yeah, mass theft in that regard. Let's look at the broader markets now. 17 minutes past nine. Bond yields are rising following the Fed's latest meeting. The yield on a 10-year Treasury note is now nearly 4.5%. We talked about this with my guest Arun Pai yesterday. Uh, that helps help send share prices tumbling overnight. The Nasdaq dropped 1.8%. S&P 500 down 1.6%. The Dow closed down more than 1% as well. Now, while investors in the U.S. are concerned about the prospect of another interest rate hike before the end of the year, 25 basis points expected, the picture is a little different in the U.K., where the Bank of England has surprised markets. The BOE ended a run of 17 straight rate interest rate hikes yesterday after the latest data indicated that inflation in the UK is running below expectations so the fight against inflation seemingly over in the UK what is your takeaway from this surprise decision yeah i mean this is also very surprising because if you see how uk's headline consumer price index is inflation actually dipped about 6.7% um, from 6.8% uh, in july so that's not very far off um, and this was really because of easing food and accommodation prices which was offset by a hike in fuel prices. So on one hand, you still have a relatively um, high inflation if you want to compare you know, to its, their benchmark inflation rate of a sub you know, between 2 to 3%. So there's still some room to actually go down for inflation. And holding on to um, interest rates, um, the, their interest rates hike here, it could be quite surprising because on one hand, you know, does it mean that um, they are able to actually comfortably control inflation from 6 plus all the way down to 2 to 3%? Um, it's, it is sort of hard to say, but at the same time, you are also looking at um, the Bank of England. They, they seem to actually are adopting more of a wait-and-see approach here. Um, they probably do not want to sort of overstep or, you know, going 
to sort of front foot themselves uh, to go ahead um, in case you know they have overextended overextended themselves in terms of interest rate hike. I want to turn to Hong Kong now. Uh, earlier in the week, Ryan and I were talking about how the Hong Kong stocks are some of the worst performing for the year. The Hang Seng Index down more than 10%. Uh, if you look at the start of the year, for it's trading about 42% below its pre-pandemic levels and yet share buybacks are surging. So Hong Kong businesses see value at the end of the tunnel. In the blogosphere, you're generally best known for writing about Singapore stocks, but we did a show together fairly recently where you talked about your visit to Hong Kong, where you've been investing in for more than a decade. So I want to ask you to, you know, sort of revisit the investment thesis for how the market is doing there and any regrets so far. Yeah, so far for me, you know, I'm, I'm a contrarian investor. And for me, where I like to look at, you know, is not just um, looking at contrarian for being the sake of contrarian, but also, you know, I like to look at where there's really sheer outrageous value. That means where there's a huge difference in the price, the, the share price of a business and the business value itself. And right now, you know, Hong Kong, as I was just speaking with uh, one of um, our interviewees earlier this morning, um, Ken Soon of Astra Asset Management, he did mention that the Hang Seng Index uh, right now is priced at 6.2 times a price to earnings ratio, which is actually an all-time low and one of the lowest um, in the Asian uh, Asia stock market here. So there are a lot of value here and like I always like to, to to hear you know Warren Buffett's quote saying that you know be be greedy when others are fearful. Of mm-hmm. course, you know we have to be cautious about it. And for me, you know I am still uh, convicted to hold you know look at Hong Kong stocks itself, and primarily because you know I want to be foc- I'm actually focused more on the business, more so than say for example the geopolitical tensions, uh, more so than you know the 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 ups and downs of the share price movement, and of course at the same time of course the currency movements as well. I mean bearing in mind that this some of the risks uh, we have to actually take note of. So Willie and I did a whole show on uh, his trip to Hong Kong recently. So you can listen to that in depth. Uh, a couple of days back, it was just go to Your Money, the playlist on Spotify and, and look up that particular show. But I did want to, you know, hopefully for this audience, revisit a little of what we talked about that I thought was really interesting. Um, the feeling on the ground, you mentioned greed and fear. Is it more greed or more fear amongst investors on the ground in Hong Kong? Yeah, so this is a very good point, Michelle. So I guess it's a sort of a tussle between the two. On one hand, people are fearful in, in in a sense where they are actually seeing a structural shift. That means the investors are looking are telling me that hey, uh, really this is this geopolitical tensions, these geopolitical issues will be something which will be part of the Hong Kong market. Mm. That's one. Number two, we are also looking at the property debt crisis, uh, which is currently uh, struggling in China. And that's also something which many of the investors uh, or fund managers, they are actually have to deal with. But despite um, some of these fears, you know, which they have actually mentioned, they are actually quite optimistic about certain businesses in Hong Kong, in China. And the reason why is because they are actually seeing this opening. If you think about it, right, um, since last year, the world has has already fully opened up from the pandemic. But China has yet to actually caught up to speed there because they only opened up at the end of the last year. So they still actually have some more time they, they need to actually fully open up. And don't forget, China is the second largest economy um, in the world today, 1.3 billion uh, people. So it's not easy to say, okay, I'm going to open up and everything goes back to normal. So it, do, it still takes time. And 
I do share um, my similar views um, with Ken Soon earlier where he, he did mention about looking at consumer stocks, healthcare, um, electric vehicles, uh, tech stocks as well in Hong Kong and in China. And primarily the reason why is because it's, it's much easier to see some of these businesses, you know, um, on the ground yourself, you know, when you're buying food, when you're buying your daily necessities, your groceries. I think mm. these are sort of an, an easier way to actually observe what's going on on the ground. So that's where um, my greed really comes in when I'm looking at some of these ideas. You mentioned consumer te- uh, tech and healthcare, right? Are those the main or are there other particular classes or um, categories that you think offers best value now? Mm. So other than consumers, I also like to look at landlords primarily because I'm a local investor myself and looking at REITs in Singapore is uh, one of the, 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 the knowledge which I have. So I sort of bring that in the Hong Kong market. So looking mm. at some of the REITs, the landlords, um, the financials institutions, so banks and insurance. But of course, I will have to be more careful when I talk about banks and insurance. I want to be looking at some of the blue chips. So the big four banks, for example, um, I'm not so much looking at the Chinese regional banks as they tend to be more risky, number one. Number two, they have a um, huge competition with uh, trying to fight for their own deposits. So it's the huge banks that you're looking at? Yes, so you're primarily looking at the big four banks in China, for example. So you're looking at ICBC, um, the Agricultural Bank of China, China Construction Bank and the Bank of China. Got it. Um, Time for corporate news. We do it up or down style. Just three entries this morning. The first is Vietnam's VinFast. All right, so this is an up for me. For VinFast, their revenues have actually grown quite fairly substantial, even though they are still loss-making. But this has also shown that, you know, the high deliveries show that that they have actually a huge demand for the electric vehicle of this Vietnamese um, electric vehicle maker. Yeah, I'm going to spin the story a little differently for you. So you have a glass half-empty, half-full view of VinFast (laughs) this morning. So I think the shares really popped when they first launched last month, right? But they are down 67% since. And the company's latest profits numbers won't do much to change minds of skeptics like me. VinFast lost half a billion dollars during the second quarter of the year. But if you're looking for some positive news about the company, it is planning to break into a new market, VinFast, looking to deliver EVs to Europe before the end of this year. And that might help VinFast's bottom line in future. But for now, I'm still going to give it a down. Next up, all right, this is a perfect question for the REIT Hunter. Let's look at EC World REIT. <laughs> well, EC Worry is an up for me after it has announced that it has released um, about 11 million yuan of its onshore interest reserve to fully repay uh, its interest expense due on Wednesday. All right. And I look at it a little differently. Trading in shares of EC World REIT were suspended last month. They're not about to start trading again soon. EC World REIT, in fact, has asked for an extension until it, quote, sorts out uncertainty. So that is a down for EC World REIT in my book. And finally, Yang Zijia. Shipbuilding. Okay, so Yang Yang Zhejiang Shipbuilding. Again, for me, this is an up as it is looking as its margin is looking to improve as its ship prices uh, rise while steel prices as fall. So it's actually interesting here because uh, if you're looking at shipping these days, you know after the whole the whole pandemic hmm. has uh, you know gone to pass, we are looking at ship prices going up where people are look, looking at uh, the uh, inventories moving from one point to another. So Yang Zhejiang shipping is actually right smack in the middle of uh, this tailwind. Exactly. So it notes that steel prices are falling, but ship prices are moving in the opposite direction. In fact, Yang Zhejiang shipbuilding was also the best performing SDI 
constituent yesterday. It rose more than 4%, which puts its gains for the past 12 months at nearly 70%. So I join you in that up for Yang Zijiang shipbuilding. All right. Time for last word of the day and it belongs to Goldman Sachs. It is making it easier for wealthy clients to invest in pro sports teams. Okay, so question, personal. If you could invest in any particular sport, which would it be? Oh, well, for me, it's going to be tennis because I'm a tennis, I'm a tennis fan and I play tennis. And if there's something which I would do, I would definitely invest. And the reason why is also because it's very competitive in the business. And if you're not in, let's say, the top seats mm. of the game, you know, you have to actually sort of sponsor yourself um, in, in order to actually play all the competitions, right? You're talking about the ATPs, you're talking about the Grand Slam. So a lot of these players, sometimes they tend to struggle. And for me, sometimes it's also um, more of seeing some of these um, hidden talents just so because they might not have the capital, uh, being able to actually invest in some of the, the, the players themselves um, allows me to see, you know, some of the hidden gems um, within the whole game. I'd like to invest in an esports team. Ooh. I think it's an interesting sector. I know nothing about it. But I live in a room, uh, you know, I, I did, I do have two brothers. And so you can imagine <laughs> esports is big in, in the family home. It is unclear, though, which teams will immediately be available as part of this new initiative by Goldman Sachs for its customers. But the investment house has previously been active in some pretty high-profile transactions, including F1 teams, uh, the sale of the English Premier League Chelsea's football club as well. Willie King, rocking the leather. Have a great day ahead. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.